Uh, this semester in RUF, we are going to be uh, studying the Gospel of Mark. And as Alexander said before, we're here to love and serve this campus, and that includes the whole campus. So if you're here tonight and you're a skeptic of Christianity, we're so glad that you're here and hope that this will inform you in some way of what the Bible has to say about Jesus. And if you're a believer, we hope uh, that, that studying the scripture together will build you up and um, make you ask new questions. So tonight we're looking at Mark chapter 1, starting verse 16. And we see this sort of series of episodes where Jesus calls people to himself and then he starts showing them what he's calling them to. And so Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. And followed him. Let me stop there and we'll pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would call us to yourself tonight, that you would give us faith so that we would follow you, whether we're uh, questioning and confused or whether we um, are believing and trusting but not knowing what it looks like uh, to love and serve you. We pray that uh, you would show us that tonight. We pray this in your name. Amen. So there's all sorts of things asking you to follow them. Do you see the commercial for the new iPhone? The $1,000 iPhone that I'm going to buy tomorrow. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, do you remember the Mac and PC ad where the guy's like, I'm a Mac and I'm cool. And, and then the guy's like, I'm on PC and I'm a nerd. And, 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 and uh, that's Apple trying to get you to what? To follow them, right? And I'm... Um, I bought it. I'm a sucker. Like, I bought into the thing. But there's so many things asking you to follow you. And, like, freshmen, you're coming in. And, like, remember the activities fair? I missed a whole week. Everything too. Remember, we're like, here's candy. Follow us. Like, join our club. Um, sign up, please. Get on the listserv. You can unsubscribe. It's easy. You know, uh, just, just hear us out. Follow this team or that team, this professor, that professor. Mom and dad's vision of your reality. Your vision of your reality. And Jesus is doing that too. He's coming to these people and he's saying, follow me. Which is a pretty bold claim, but more than like, buy this computer or that computer. Jesus is asking for these just sort of totally committed wholesale followers. uh, Which is scary. And when he says, follow me, it's an imperative. It's not a question. Like It's like, consider this. Do you want a piece of candy? <laughs> and then by the end of the activities fair, I'm like, take this. And people do. <laughs> take it. Uh, it's an imperative. It's a command. It's not a question, but a command. In verse 20, it's so amazing. Uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they're with their dad in the family business. And they just leave him. And there's like the hired workers there too. Like, this man, like what kind of person must Jesus have been to just walk by some people with their dad and say, come with me? They're like, see you, dad. Like, <laughs> peace. It's like moving day times 10. It's like over. See ya, peace. Um, so, and Mark is doing this. I told you last week he does things really abbreviatedly and he uses the word immediately a lot and he's in a hurry almost the way he tells the story. But here he's making crystal clear that following Jesus makes, give, makes 
means giving up everything. They leave their dad and their job, and they go like that immediately. Okay, so this raises an objection, right? So you might be here tonight, and you're like, this is my problem with Christianity. Like, Christians are lemmings. They just blindly follow. You're the authority. We listen to you. We don't think for ourselves, right? You feel that? You know that? Um, But the reality is that all of us follow something in some way or another. I was hinting at this before, whether, like, I'm a Mac guy, I'm an Apple product consumer, I listen to this teacher, this professor. We all follow something. We follow a political leader or a teacher or a friend or an idea or our parents' view of the world or the idea of the world that we're coming up with on our own. Or, like, we think, like, well, I'm a free and independent person. Well, nobody's really a free and independent person. Why? Because really you're just following your mind or your desires, which is still a kind of following. And, like, if you know yourself very well, do you know that, do you think you can trust your own ideas? Do you think you can trust your own desires? You're following them. And then the, the question is not whether or not you and I will follow something. It's whether or not the thing that we're following is worth following. Is it worth it? Um, I'll give an example. Uh, if I were to ask most of you, if you could project yourself 20 years in the future, which would you rather have? Wealth and success, but an incredibly unhappy, married, ma- unhappy marriage or divorce? Or relative poverty, but a thriving home life? Like, if you had to push the button, most of you would be like, you know what, I want, a, I want a great relationship with my spouse. I want things to be going well. I want, I want healthy relationships. And yet, the way that we often pursue that is we say... I'll engage in a serious relationship with you if first I can fulfill my personal goals, aspirations, and careers, right? Which is interesting. Now, those two things sometimes can work together. But the problem is when we say, you know what, you're amazing, and I would love to spend the rest of my life with you, but I really have these ambitions, what would you just tell her? (laughs) I don't really love you. Like, the marriage vows are in plenty and in want, want, sickness and in health, forsaking all others, as long as we both shall live. You make this vow of poverty when you get married, right? Which means you're saying, even if this other stuff doesn't work out. And so long as we say, as long as I can do this, then I'll have you. I just put that over you. And we don't want to do that. We don't think we're doing that. And so I would, I'm, I'm giving that illustration to you to say that it's not uncommon in life to reach a fork in the road where you're saying, I might be able to have these other things too. You can follow Jesus and have a career. You can get married and have a career. But at some point there's this moment where you say, you're more important than that. And if I lose that for you, it's nothing. And that's called love. Does that make sense? So when Jesus is calling us to follow him, he's not just saying, follow me, he's saying, love me. And Jesus doesn't play the wishy-washy game. He's saying, sons of Zebedee, in the boat, come. And amazingly, they did. 
which I would not have done in that situation. It's incredible that they did. Um, Follow me above all others. But before I get out of that boat and leave my dad, I want to know, like, are you worth it? Right? Like, are you worth following? Jesus is making this outlandish command and this outlandish claim on these people. So what is Mark showing us in this story? Well, the first thing I would want to know before I get out of the boat is, does he even know what he's talking about? Do you know what he's talking about? Like, is he just a ranting lunatic? Uh, So that's really an issue of authority. So look at verse 21 on the next slide. And they went, Jesus and his disciples, they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. So first, we see his authority in this passage. First, we see the authority of his teaching. Do you notice what they said? They said, this man teaches with authority, not like the other scribes. Not like the other scribes. As in... He's not just relying on the existing material. He's not just relying on the Old Testament. Now, there's many places where Jesus says the Old Testament is still authoritative. It has power. It's still to be followed and understood. But what he's saying is, I'm of the same source. My authority is like that. My authority is like, for you people, it's like the scripture. I'm the author of the teaching. He teaches with Authority, not like the other scribes. So the other scribes in that day would have been something like this. It would have been like, okay, so you, you would have been, you would have studied, like this is what I did. I went to graduate school. I studied these people, these people, these people, these people, these people. We're looking at Greek and Hebrew. We're figuring stuff out We're on the computers and writing our papers. And it's essentially what, what the, the same period back then. You would, you would go to rabbinical school and you would study under a teacher and you would literally memorize his words. Verbatim. And then when you were ready to teach on your own, you would say, Rabbi so-and-so says this. Right? And then the Talmud says this. And you would teach people in this way. But Jesus was radically different. We see elsewhere in the Gospels where Jesus has said, you've heard it said this, but I say unto you this. You've said it. You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I say, if you're angry at your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. So he's teaching with this authority, and they recognize it. And then he comes to them, and he says, in his message, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the gospel. We saw that last week. So it's like, okay, people are recognizing him as having authority. He's claiming this authority, but, but I want to know more. Like, okay, he knows some stuff. He has some insight. His teachings on morality and the human life have been studied for the last two millennia been life-changing but like is that it 
Like, can he do anything? Is he powerful? Like, if I'm going to give, I'm going to get out, get out of the boat and leave my dad, I want to know, does he have the power, or is he just a guy that has some good ideas? And so we see his power in the same passage. And this is weird. Unclean spirits. He has shows his power over unclean spirits. Power over, like, demons. Isn't that weird? Talk about that in a second. And it's interesting, though, this man who's possessed, demon-possessed, unclean spirit, and the spirits say to him, what do you want to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? You know, they're like, it's like a Stephen King movie or something. Um, but what's interesting in the, in the immediate cultural context where they name him Jesus of Nazareth, I know who you are, you're the Holy One of God. That's battle language. It's like, if I can name you, then I got you. And so these spirits are saying, we know who you are. Like, come on, come at us. What are you doing here? And I love it, it says, Jesus rebuked him. It's like, sit down, shut up. It's so awesome. Um, he's trying to be controlled. Okay, quick sidebar. Demons, that's weird. Unclean spirits, strange. Uh, here's the deal. The Bible does assume and teach and demonstrate the existence of a spiritual world. And I think that things have changed after the coming of Jesus, that it's less active than it was, but it's still a reality. I would love to have a cup of coffee and talk to you about that in more detail, and it's going to come up again in a couple of weeks, and I'll address it more thoroughly then. But I just want to acknowledge to you, if you're here, like, oh, unclean spirits. What are we doing? Like, but I will say this. It's not just old-timey language. The Bible's proposal, it's not just old-timey language for, like, mental health issues. There's something more and something real taking place according to the Bible. So anyway, that's sidebar. So the next thing I want to know, okay, so like he's, he knows what he's talking about. He has authority, and he's powerful. He can like do stuff. But what is he going to use that power for? Like Voldemort has knowledge and power, right? Like uh, do I really want to follow him? What's his character? And then he's going to demonstrate that a little bit more by showing more of his power. He has power not just over the spiritual world but the physical world, and he uses that power over the physical world to heal people. To give them life. Look at verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. Note that Simon, his name is later changed to Peter. If he has a mother-in-law, it means he was married. Just putting that out there. Okay. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came, and he took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So, listen... The point of all this is that Jesus has come and as he's bringing his ministry and he's saying the kingdom of God is here, repent, believe the gospel. He's, he's walking into the world that's been completely corrupted by sin. And it's not just that like we do things that are wrong, but that this idea in the Bible is that when sin, human rebellion against God entered the world, it started messing up everything. So imagine like a pot of water and I poured like a solo cup full of bubonic cl- plague into it. And you're like, punch time, you know, like, it's only like one cup of bubonic plague, 
but it's fine. Like, let's go. Like, there's this idea that it has permeated everything. It's sort of corrupt the whole universal order of creation, of relationships, of even the way our bodies work. And Jesus is coming in and he's saying, he's like this zero water filter. You've seen this? I have one. It's so awesome. Like, you, I get the tap water and it's like, you put a little measuring stick in it and it's like 200 parts per liter. I don't know what it is. And then I do like the filtered water from the fridge and it's still like 120. And then I put it through the zero water filter and it's zero. And it's awesome. That's why it's called zero. And Jesus is like this human slash God water filter that's just coming into the creation and saying, I'm cleaning this up. I'm reversing all this stuff. I'm taking it away. I'm casting out evil spirits. I'm saying you're forgiven and I'm actually healing you. The consequences of that bubonic plague that's stirring in the pot. This incredible thing. Our relationship with God is being restored. Our relationship with each other and ourselves and even our bodies in the creation. Jesus is saying, my kingdom is going to just revamp everything. Full out redemption. He has the power, that he, the power that he has, he's using to heal. Where he could just come in and dominate. But he doesn't. And this little phrase, I love it, like Peter's mother-in-law, she gets up immediately and starts to serve them. This is not like Bible-sanctioned misogyny, like a woman's place is in the kitchen and you should get up and serve us some food. You're like, but it's this idea that she's like restored to what she wants to do, what she's made to do. She's like, oh, my son is here, my son-in-law with his friends. Here we go. Like when I go to my in-law's house, my mother-in-law, she's amazing. So when, when my daughter was in uh, the hospital uh, two weeks ago, uh, Dawn's mom came down and she is like having like Mary Poppins on retainer. Like we came home when my laundry was folded, all my shirts were ironed, everything was clean. The kids were like happy. We're home with their little sister and she leaves and they start crying. I'm like, <laughs> and this is how I sort of picture Simon Peter's mother-in-law. She's just like, and, and my mother-in-law is this way. She's just like, it, may, it just delights her to do that. She, I'm like thanking her profusely. She's like, man, like, what? this makes me happy. Like, I, I love my grandchildren. I love you. What else would I do? Love to, to love is to serve. She didn't say that. <laughs> she didn't like <laughs> preach me a sermon on love and service, but she was just like, I'm, no, it's, like, I love you. Like, and this is what's happening. Like, boom. Like, and what's really fascinating, like when, when Phoebe was sick, you know, she's like moaning and crying in the hospital, but we gave her some drugs and like, the pain is gone, but she's still awful. Like, it's not, she couldn't just hop out and start playing Legos with me. Uh, Jesus, it, Jesus' healing is different. It just brings her back. It resurrects Simon's mother-in-law. But even still, you still have to say, okay, again, I can imagine Voldemort using these, like, he can create a silver hand, right, for Wormtail. He can heal you. I want to know his core character. Like, is he just a pusher of the kingdom of God? Or is he a user? Is he smoking what he's selling? Has he tasted the blue meth himself? <laughs> and not just tell me it's pure, but he's tried it. You know, is, is he real or is he a hypocrite? So the last thing is, is his love. We've seen his authority. We've seen his power. And I want to see his love. What did Jesus say the greatest commandment was elsewhere? You shall love the Lord your God, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Does he do that? 
Let's see it. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him, and they said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So first, like his love, his love for God. This idea that he is, he's been exerting himself, he's been working, he's been healing, he's been teaching. And then he says, I'm going to go off and be alone with my father. I'm going to go away by myself and pray. Um, one of the worst sermons I ever heard was on these verses. And it was about um, how it was, I remember the outline, it was the person, the priority, and the power of prayer. And the person of prayer is a person who goes and does it. And the priority is that Jesus got up early in the morning and did it. And then the power is that it gets results in your life, just like it did for Jesus. And it's like, you know, Jesus was God-made man, and if he needed to pray, how much more do you need to pray? And... Uh, if Jesus got up early in the morning, how much earlier do you need to get up in the morning? And, uh, you know, if he needed that power, how much more do you need that power? Which is all kind of true in itself, but it was basically this, like, 45-minute guilt trip about how I don't pray as good as Jesus. Um, and I thought, when I was listening to it, it was like, when he said the person of prayer, I thought he was going to talk about, like, like, Jesus for a little bit, other than as an example. Jesus is definitely our example. We want to imitate him. We want to follow him. We want to be like him. But I, I don't want you to miss that part of what's happening here. He's showing us what it looks like to depend on God the Father, to be in his presence and the priority of that, and to truly love him and want to be with him. But also don't miss that him doing this is very much because we aren't that and because we need that. Like Part of what Jesus is going and doing is he's saying, they need me. And so, Father, I need you. So part of what he's praying about when he's getting away in a desolate place to pray is his disciples and the people that he's going to minister to and you and me. And we see it in John chapter 17. Like, he literally prays for the future believers in him. Go look it up. So his love for God, he shows, like, is he a hypocrite? No. He goes, he loves his father. And at the same time as he's loving his father, he's loving others. He's loving his neighbors and I love like Peter and Simon Peter comes like this is like probably the first it's probably the earliest one where Peter like Peter has this habit of and by the way Peter was the source for Mark Peter has this habit of like telling Jesus he's wrong and it never works out uh, well for Peter but I love he comes he's like everybody's looking for you like what are you, like what are you doing are you, like you're at a quiet time this is weird like we've got come on everybody's like into this let's go this is working and what's interesting is. That Jesus, like, he's become very popular. Like, his reputation is spreading. These people already like him over here. And Jesus says, no, we're not going that way. We're going that way. Because more people need to hear it. And he could have just gone and basked in the glory of these people he just healed. But he didn't. He moved forward into it. Now, some of us in the room, we don't like the prayer thing. We don't like the getaway in a desolate place and pray. It's like, look, I'm on board. 
I'm on board with like, let's stop human trafficking and let's seek justice in the world and let's seek equality and let's do the things and make things better in the world. I'm on board with that. But this like relationship with God thing, is, I can take it or leave it. I'll take the ethics of Christianity, but I don't want the God. Um, God says, be still and know that I am God. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm a gentle shepherd. Come in the pasture and know me. And for some of us, that's weird and uncomfortable. And we would rather just go obey. Um, Others of us, we don't like the this is why I came part. (laughs) There are others still, and for this I came. We don't like the mission. Like, we want to stay in the boat with Zebedee and our friends and a journal (laughs) and pray and have a quiet time. But the action, the moving towards people that we don't want to move towards, to moving towards unhealth, to moving towards sin, to moving towards awkwardness even, is like, yeah. And so if I'm just staying in the boat with my journal and my Bible and it never results in me reaching out and moving towards other people as Jesus moved towards us coming from heaven to earth, then really I don't think I really love, it's not just that I don't love others, I don't really love God. I'm just using God to love myself. Because spirituality makes me feel good. I read some comforting verses. I read a few pages of a book I like. I jot some things in my journal. And I feel great. And I go about my day. Right? This is why I have come. Do you know that? There are others that need to hear. And Jesus challenges us in both of these ways. He challenges us to deep, deep relationship with God and sacrificial love of other people. And he doesn't just tell us to do it. He does it. It's who he is. Jesus makes us fishers of people because he himself is that. When he's saying, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, he's fishing for men. He's doing the thing that he's saying. He's calling people in to the kingdom and communing with his father and living for his purpose. So what are you following? Like we're all following something. I think you probably believe that at some level. And whatever it is that you're following, does it have the right to ask you for that? Does it have the power to follow through on its promises? But even above all of those things, does it love you? Do your desires love you? Does your professor love you? Does success love you? Will it die for you? Maybe. I don't There's some pretty good professors here. I don't know. Peter McHenry. Um, <laughs> what do you follow? So, um, y'all might have seen my kids. They were here. I have four of them. They left a little while ago. And I... One of the best things about having kids is like reliving stories and also that you get to watch kids' movies and you like pretending you don't like them, but you do. And um, one of my favorites is Up, right? And it's so sad. Like everybody cries in the first five minutes of Up 
But there's also like a super tear-jerking scene towards the end. If you haven't seen it, what's wrong with you? But uh, <laughs> if you've seen it, um, you know, there's Mr. Fredrickson, the grumpy old man. And he's been dragging that house around that he's like got with balloons. And he's been tugging it along because his wife, Ellie, is gone. And the house is this like massive symbol like of Ellie that he's dragged down to Paradise Falls. And he's finally got there. And, you know... The little kid, Russell, is like, we got to go save Kevin. And he's like, dude, I'm out. Like, I'm done. I'm at Paradise Falls. See you later. And I love the scene where he finds a scrapbook in the house that Ellie had left for him where it was all of their dreams of how they were going to move to Paradise Falls. And he's flipping through the scrapbook. And it's pictures of him and his late wife. And it's the story of their whole life and how they failed to have children, went through a miscarriage, and they went through that grief together. And he's flipping through the pages and reliving the memories. And he gets to the page where they were supposed to have gotten to Paradise Falls, their childhood dream. And he flips it over and he sees a little note. This little message from Ellie. And she says, thanks for the adventure. Now go have another one. And what she's telling him in the story is so cool, is that like, yeah, we thought it was about Paradise Falls and this house, but that wasn't the real story. The real story was me and you. That was the adventure. And when Jesus says, come and follow me, he's saying, you, you're fishermen. I've got a better version of being a fisherman for you. I've got a better thing. It's not the story that you think it is. It's something even more. It's even better. Come and follow me. And so here he has this authoritative message from the person that he's been dragging around his whole life thinking that he's doing this for her. And she's saying, you missed it. And she's saying, go have another one. And it's so awesome. Russell, he puts on the balloons and he takes the blower and he takes off on his own. And after seeing that message... This authoritative message from a wife, a wife who loved him saying, you missed it, now go. What does he do? He runs into his house and he starts throwing furniture out the window. He starts emptying the bookshelves. He's lightening up the house so he can go and go get Russell. Because now he sees his purpose. He's known as love and now he knows his purpose. I'm going to go. I'm going to carry the story forward. It's not just about me. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, come and follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Throw your furniture out the window. Follow me. And he's proving it to them again and again. I will conquer for you. I will love you. I will pray for you. I will be with you. I will die for you. And I will let you share my kingdom with other people. So follow me. Throw your refrigerator out the window. And we're going to go get Russell. I want to go with him. I want to read that letter called the book of Mark and I want to follow the author into loving other people. I hope you will come with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us beyond what we could ever imagine, that you have loved us um, unto death and unto resurrection and that you will love us unto returning for us. And so we pray in the meantime that, that we would love our neighbors as you've loved us. Help us to see that and to do that and to be that. In your name we pray. Amen. Please stand up, guys. We're going to sing a couple more songs.